0: Hello, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Father Andrew Mattingly. I am a Catholic priest in Kansas City, Missouri, and this is a podcast where I post homilies and random other stuff that I might teach or speak about. Hope you find something useful and maybe even inspiring. God bless you. As we um, look at our readings for today, in our first reading from Isaiah, we have some words that prophesy about a future time in which incredible things will take place. We read that in this time, the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf will be cleared, the lame will leap like stags, and those whose tongues are mute will sing. And what do we hear will be the cause of these incredible things? None other than God Himself. He will directly intervene to bring about these extraordinary things. Here is your God. He comes with vindication. With divine recompense, He comes to save you. In other words, what we have here in Isaiah is a messianic prophecy. It's a prophecy of a future time in which the Messiah will come to accomplish these extraordinary things to save his people. Now, if you fast forward to our gospel, listen closely to what we hear. When John the Baptist heard in prison of the works of the Christ, he sent his disciples to Jesus with this question Are you the one who is to come, or should we look for another? In other words, are you the Messiah? Jesus said to them, Go and tell John what you see and hear. The blind regain their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the good news preached to them. Jesus here is referencing back to these Old Testament prophecies. He's saying, I am the Messiah. You see all of these things happening that were prophesied in the Old Testament of the Messiah? Therefore it is I, I have come to save my people." Now one thing I want to draw your attention to in both the passage from Isaiah and in the Gospel is a principle that is extraordinarily important throughout Scripture. That whether it's in Isaiah of proclaiming this future time where the Messiah will come to save His people, or whether it's in the Gospel passage of a proclamation that the Messiah is here In either of these cases, God, in His mysterious plan, chooses to use human beings to proclaim this message. He chooses to use human instruments to proclaim His message. Listen closely, in in the prophet Isaiah, we hear God commanding, He says, say to those whose hearts are frightened, fear not, your God comes to save you. You know, God could have said, yeah, I'll, I'll just appear in a, you know, a, a glory cloud like I did to the Israelites in the desert, or I'll appear in another burning bush, and I'll, I'll tell them Myself that, that the Lord is going to come to save them. But I don't want to do that. I want you to proclaim this message. I want to use a human instrument. In the Gospel, Jesus tells John's disciples, he says, you, you guys, you go back to John and you tell him what you've seen and heard. Sure, I'm Jesus, I'm God. I could show up in a vision to John the Baptist if I wanted to. I could tell him myself. I could buy locate, right? I have that power. But I don't want to do that. I want you to be my instruments for this proclamation. Now as a, a side tangent, you might be wondering to yourself, didn't John the Baptist already know that Jesus... Was the Messiah? The answer, of course, is yes. Um, So we'll leave that aside. (laughs) We'll leave that aside for now and come back to the main point, which is that this theme comes up time and time again throughout Scripture, throughout salvation history. God, even though He is all powerful, chooses for some mysterious reason to make use of human beings to announce the most important messages that the world will ever hear. It's an extraordinary mystery, and it's one that continues down to our day. To our present day, God chooses to announce the Gospel to children through their parents, and to grandchildren through their grandparents. He chooses to announce the Gospel to a co-worker through their peer, to a neighbor through their neighbor, and so on, and so on, and so on. This is how God chooses to work. Now when we think about this, when we think about the great responsibility that each one of us has been given individually to be these messengers, I think for many of us, often our initial reaction is one of fear. We're afraid. It's a very intimidating thing to be a a messenger of such great importance. And often I think many of us would turn to God and say, Lord, really, me? Like you want me to do this? I'm supposed to proclaim the Gospel? to these people in my spheres of influence. And the Lord says, well, are you baptized? Then yeah. <laughs> I want you. <laughs> you are called to do that. And we, we, we protest, you know. We, we fire back and we say, Lord, I think you got the wrong guy. Like, I don't really know how to speak very well. I'm not very good with words. And the Lord says, yeah. Like, don't you remember Moses? He had a speech impediment. Did you see what I did with him? He said, "Yeah, Lord, but like I'm not particularly educated. I don't know apologetics. I don't know. I don't. I don't have a great upbringing." He says, "Well, like Gideon was pretty uneducated. You see what I did with him? I saved the whole people of Israel with just a couple hundred guys under under Gideon." And then we sort of fire back again, and 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 we say, "Lord, <clears throat> I'm just too young. I'm." I'm an experience. Like, I don't, I don't know. He says, Yeah, like Jeremiah told me the same thing. I get it, I get it. You are a weak vessel of clay, but I will be with you. That is what the Lord says. We can fire back at him with, with every excuse in the book. It doesn't matter if we're the weakest, most sinful person on the face of the planet. If God chooses us to accomplish a mission, he will be with us. He will be with us. Do not doubt that. So he says to each one of us, as he said in our first reading, go therefore, go therefore to your coworker who is desperate with loneliness and tell them, fear not. God invites you into His very own family. Jesus is waiting to call you His friend. Will you say yes to Him? He says to each one of us, go to your neighbor whose life feels completely empty and lacking in meaning, and tell him, fear not. The Lord wants to give you a life that is dripping with purpose full of adventure. You just have to say yes to Him. And He tells each one of us, go to your friend who feels crushed with guilt and shame because of their sins, and tell them, fear not. Jesus is mercy itself. Will you trust Him? Will you trust Him? And now while we each have this extraordinary privilege and responsibility as individuals to be these messengers of truth, goodness, and beauty, these messengers of the gospel to our spheres of influence, the reason that we're all gathered here tonight, aside from those of you who maybe just sort of wandered in, the reason we're gathered here as a city on a hill tonight is because we're united in a specific mission, if you will, to reach a certain group of people, with the gospel that's why we're here and I can tell you that drawing on the image that Isaiah gives in his reading this image of the desert and how God wants flowers to bloom in the desert I can tell you that our culture right now um, particularly among the younger generations is becoming very desert-like it's becoming very much like a desert because anywhere where Jesus Christ is not it is desert And, some of you have heard this many, many times from me, but in Kansas City alone, there are 250,000 young adults with no religious affiliation whatsoever. That's a lot of desert. It's a lot of desert where Jesus is not. And what does the Lord want? He wants our community, City on a Hill, to penetrate into that desert. Not to hide at the oasis where it's comfortable. But to penetrate into the desert with news of great joy that the Lord is coming to save us for anyone who's willing to say yes to Him. And what will make our efforts fruitful? How will we penetrate this desert of our city, our country, our workplace, our extended family, our neighborhood? How, how will our efforts become fruitful? Will it B, because City on a Hill has well-designed initiatives? I don't think so. <laughs> the apostles didn't really have any programs. They seemed to do pretty well. Will we be fruitful because we have people with charisma who are leading our initiatives? No, oh, I don't think so. As we heard, Moses had a speech impediment and Gideon was completely uneducated. They seemed to do pretty well. Will we succeed in being fruitful if we have lots of money? I don't want to discourage you for later, but, uh, <laughs> but no. That will not do it. <laughs> uh, the apostles were pretty poor and, and they did all right. What will make city on a hill fruitful are things that lie much more beneath the surface that are hidden. Hidden prayer, hidden penance, and the individual holiness of those who are involved in our community. That's what's going to make us fruitful. The other stuff is like the 10% that's above the surface. The important things are the 90% below the surface. So for all of you here tonight, in whatever way you're connected to City on a Hill, whether you're currently involved, involved in the past, you're sort of curious, you financially support us, whatever it may be, what, for whatever reason that you're here, above all, if I could ask you to take that seriously, to take that seriously. It doesn't matter how great the scala is, it doesn't matter how flashy our things are, they will be fruitless if they are not built upon a foundation of prayer, penance, and the individual holiness of our members. They will be empty, void of the power of Jesus please if if there's nothing else that you take away from tonight please commit yourself seriously to prayer sacrifice and your personal growth and holiness this is what will make us fruitful you know there's one there's one other thing that will make us fruitful which i haven't mentioned yet maybe this is the most important thing actually and i think it's best explained by means of a story this is a story that I heard recently from someone who was a longtime parishioner here at Good Council, uh, who said that Monsignor Blassett, who's a, a longtime pastor here, sort of a legendary figure, he, he was fond of telling this story. And those of you who are here who maybe have heard this directly from his lips, if I get the version slightly wrong, you'll have to correct me later. But the story goes like this There was once a king who sent a message throughout his kingdom. And it was to any man who was of suitable age to receive the rank of knight. And it was to rich and poor. Now, it wasn't often the case that a poor man had ever had the opportunity to become a knight. So it was a very unique thing. And the message went out, and it came eventually to the home of a very poor man. And he looked around at what he had. Because the message said, every man of suitable age is to prepare a gift for the king. And the gift that pleases the king the most will win for that man the knighthood. So this poor man looked around and he said, all I have is one apple tree. And this apple tree is infected with worms. It doesn't even produce good fruit. But since it's all I have, and since the king is commanding us to bring a gift, I'll cut down three apples. I'll place them on my best wooden plate and I'll bring them to the king. So he shows up at the castle and he's standing in line and he's looking around at all these other men and all the gifts that they've brought to the king. And there's extraordinary tapestries woven with unimaginable skill. And there's paintings that are done with with unreal expertise. And there's glorious trays of of fruit and vegetables and all sorts of things that you can imagine. And the man looks around and and he becomes sad. He says, what is (laughs) mine? What are my half-rotten apples? Like you don't there's nothing. I have nothing to offer the king. And he's waiting there and suddenly a woman comes up and taps him on the shoulder. And she says, "Hey, come with me." And he goes with her to the kitchen. And back in the kitchen, she takes away his wooden plate and replaces it with this beautiful golden tray, unlike anything the poor man had ever seen. And she takes a knife, and she cuts out the rotten parts from the apples. She slices them up and arranges them in meticulous fashion. And then she takes some grapes and some oranges and pears and all sorts of other things and arranges them on this tray until the man thinks to himself, I have never seen a tray of fruit more beautiful in my life. And he's just full of gratitude and she says, here, take this and go back out in line. And so he goes there and he's waiting and finally it's his turn to come to the king and And he presents this tray of fruit to the king, and the king gasps. And he says, this this is the most beautiful tray of fruit I've ever seen in my life. This is the greatest gift that has been offered to me. What is your name? He says, John. He says, John, kneel here on the floor. And John kneels, and the king places his sword on each shoulder, and he says, I dub you, Sir John, rise a knight. And the man rises with tears in his eyes and out of the corner of his eye he sees somebody off to the left to the king's right and he sees that it's the woman who had tapped him on the shoulder and suddenly he realizes who it is it was the king's mother after communion we will as we always do at this mass we will reconsecrate city on a hill to the blessed virgin mary and when we do that we will give to her all of our current members our past members our future members and we will say to her mary with all of our weaknesses and flaws and imperfections please make of us something beautiful to give to your son And we will also offer to her all of our past initiatives, current and future. And we will say to Mary, we don't really know what we're doing, (laughs) but here's what we've done. Please make this fruitful, make it something worthy of your son. And she will. So our job, friends, is not to be afraid in fulfilling this great mission that we've been given and to place our trust in the Lord and His Mother.